Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers, past or present. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast, a podcast about zoos, aquariums, animal enrichment, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kyle Benton-Jones, zookeeper, animal lover, enrichment builder, and creator of wildenrichment.com. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. This is episode 13. It's been a little while since we've uh, done a podcast. Um, I'm joined by my co-host for the third time, uh, Ben Martin. So welcome. This is where we get right into the role at this point. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we meant to do more um, podcasts, but then we went back into lockdown. At the end of the last podcast... I actually dashed from the podcast that I had just recorded with Ben, um, episode 12, if you haven't watched it yet. And I went to go see a house and I actually bought the house and I needed to do a bunch of renovations to it. So that took most of my time for the last um, couple of weeks slash months. So that's why we're on that podcast. We spent about the first 10 minutes talking about how consistent we were going to be with the podcast coming up. So um, we dropped the ball on that. But we're gonna try it this time. What this, really, what this really does, and sorry to cut you off, Kyle, but like wow. what this really highlights for me is that during a pandemic, you can't underestimate the value of keeper enrichment in the entire dynamic here. Kyle needed a little bit of a break to really just throw himself in an enrichment project of his own, and uh, you get to actually, you know, for people who are actually tuning in to look at it. You get to see a little bit of Kyle's, uh, you know, those beautiful corners in the, that 1800s house. That's it. That's it. This is, uh, this is the first episode in my office. So not an apartment, but that's that's good. Uh, so we were just talking. I cut Ben off because uh, it was some juicy, juicy topics that we were talking about on this Skype call right before we clicked record. Um, so we were talking just kind of how uh the pandemic and uh obviously it's different depending on where you live you might still be in lockdown you might have been open for you know two months now Uh, we're kind of just starting to open uh here in canada for the most part uh, which is fantastic but um you know it's obviously we've we've been in a vulnerable um industry and a vulnerable sector of uh you know as far as being affected by COVID and being affected by people being locked down, obviously being in the entertainment industry, quote unquote. And, uh, you know, where we were just talking about how that has had different effects on different areas of the zoo and especially the people. Um, So, yeah, that's sort of what we were talking about coming into this. Yeah. And, and you know, we always the best laid plans, right? We can we can map out a podcast all we want. But ultimately, in the moment, it's what kind of I'm, I'm going to have to start loosening the reins up. And it's just what we talk about. But uh, 
for both of us, I think, on our mind a lot has been how the pandemic has molded and shaped the way that we approach enrichment and the way that we approach our day-to-day job. You know, I mean, much as this is a podcast about enrichment, this is also the field that we're in has changed drastically in the past year and a half, um, mainly because of this incredible changeover in in terms of visitor flow, in terms of the availability of work. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have gone through huge transitions. And then the huge overhead of caring for our animals and having that, that entire stress of like, well, I don't want to give my animal COVID. I don't want to expose my animal to anything and um and that was so that was kind of what i was getting into there kyle before we, we kind of decided to turn on the record button my first yeah thing that i had started talking about was i i just you know at the at the zoo that we worked at i um i had looked into more and more like we've talked about you know sanitizing you know enrichment people bringing boxes from home or you know bottles from home you got these small enrichment items that are very disposable enrichment items. You're kind of giving a second life. And that whole system has completely changed in, in the context of the pandemic, right? You know, the, the sanitization yeah. of these kind of things, you can't really, like a cardboard box is only going to take so much sanitizing. It's, yeah, uh, it's pretty much a losing battle at that point. Yeah. Exactly. And like that, that kind of transmission, this awareness of, you know, where is these, where are these items coming from and how are we using them? And, now, what the history and what's the contamination risk? That that stress has kind of put a, a sharp edge on the uh, the basics of, of an enrichment program for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, and another thing that we were kind of talking about was, you know, how all of that kind of combines into uh, like a sort of burnout, you know, and it's and like sometimes like you get that at the end of a season, you know, it's been a long winter, you've been if you're an outdoor keeper and you've been you've been slogging and everything like that all winter, the summer is really when you can. I mean, I find this in my career when when I really start to get up new ideas and I really start to to sort of ramp things up in the fall and start building enrichment again and really be thinking about that uh, more and more. But uh, I feel like this pandemic has has felt like a very long cold winter for a lot of keepers and um, uh, sort of we were just talking, you know, about the slump and the sort of burnout that a lot of people are experiencing, um, on the enrichment front and just, you know, uh, their entire job as a whole. Um, cause I mean, a lot of zoos like were lucky and they didn't experience too much in the way of, um, you know, like layoffs and, uh, stuff like that. But a lot of places did, and a lot of places yeah. unfortunately had to, had to close obviously. So, um, even if you were one of those fortunate people, uh, that didn't get laid off or didn't work in a facility that closed, uh, I feel like in the back of your mind, you're still thinking like, you know, how long it's sort of like that you're kind of on the chopping block, you know, you feel like how long can all this go before we start to, before like I'm laid off before, you know, the, the zoo I work at closes, like there's gotta be a time. And even, even in terms of the entirety of the zoo, like we, you know, the infrastructure required for these kind of zoos, like it's, it's not like a zoo is just keeping or, you know, just one area or aspect of it. There are so many people that are needed to make this thing run. And I've found in the past year, it's like, it's something you never want to think about, but you start looking at people and going, well, is your job disposable or is it required? And you don't want to think that way because everyone is essential. But when you're sitting there, like, you know, in the back of your mind, that that is a horrible thing to start carrying that weight of like, well, I have to kind of like rank, (laughs) 
who yeah. uh, who stays and who goes because I know it's coming and I really like we're we're these kind of I mean you and I Kyle have talked about it like I am a planner and I I overthink and so in those kind of situations it it gets out of control very quickly where you're kind of forced into this you know this overthinking pattern of trying to go down this rabbit hole of what what could happen and what what might happen this year like I have to plan my life around this and I don't know what's going to happen next and yeah and that's really changed the dynamic so I feel like when you talk about you know yeah we get kind of burnt out at the end of the summer usually I think it almost feels like like we've just gone through a year-long summer and then we're into summer again now and everyone's kind of going oh my god like real real summer is back like old school summer is back I've just gone through this burnout period and I don't even know how to keep that momentum going to start getting creative again and start, you know, thinking about new enrichment ideas or, or even like, you know, you've kind of backed off on this broad spectrum of what your job is. And now you have to zone in again and start really thinking about the day to day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I feel like, uh, you know, like uh, burnout is affecting all portions of your job and in a job that where in enrichment is really like uh it's not definitely not extra but i've written many many articles and my entire essentially like ethos of the wild enrichment is to say that what enrichment isn't extra but it's viewed as kind of an extra portion of your job as far as you know it's not a laid out uh you know section of your job a lot of the time so that's one of the things that gets cut um most frequently I find if you're having a really busy day or uh, you're in these sort of burnout situations. So it's definitely something that can get affected very, very quickly. And so I think, you know, you and I talked, and it's all coming back to me now after this hiatus we've but uh, <laughs> you and I talked last time a little bit about the toolkit that you use, like in terms of having an enrichment toolkit at your disposal. Yeah, we've really just lived through an entire year and a half of like very, very much relying on that enrichment toolkit, the the tried and trues, uh-huh. the easy to grab yeah. and goes, the everything like that that you can just kind of pull at the last minute when things go sideways for you, when someone calls in sick because they might have COVID, when you know your yeah. your staffing has been reduced. You, you're really this is a crutch for us right now. Is this yeah this toolkit you've got it, has been pretty worn through. So we're kind of at yeah. a point now where you have to start reevaluating it and trying to revitalize it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, it's easy to fall into that slump. But uh, for me, what I find is the easiest thing to do is actually to, you know, instead of focusing on, you know, all of these big ideas and, and getting discouraged because you don't even know where to start, pick one very basic enrichment uh you know centric item that you want to build or you want to create or something you want to implement just start very 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 small and get that done you know like don't worry about the you know this this animal that isn't getting enough enrichment and and worrying about this animal that you know like all these different scenarios focus on something that's small and manageable and once you start, once you start getting those small things out of the way, like that, that's what picks back up and gets the momentum back going. And that's kind of what gets you out of like those slumps that you find yourself in. At least, at least that's what I find for me. So, um, 
you know, it's the same with like making checklists. Like, I, I mean, I've made lots of checklists where I write things on the list that I've already done to check them off because that gives you momentum to get through the rest of the list, you know? So I think uh, sort of thinking about that with, um, and this doesn't have to be with enrichment. This could be lots of aspects of the job. Uh, but I think starting small and keeping that in mind is the best way to get back on the horse, you know? Well, I mean, you're you're hitting a really good point in general in the zoo field, right? Is that as as and this is me getting a little existential on the history of the zoos in the 21st century. We we, ha- we should have a no. section of the podcast that's just existentialism with Ben. That's uh oh yeah, just me me <laughs> yeah. me and my overthinking and what's going on in my head at the time because it could uh, it could Absolutely. get interesting, very Absolutely. fair, but it could, but. Uh, just, you know, our job has changed so drastically in the last 30 years, right? 30, 40 years. And that entire ethos of like what, you know, your enrichment podcast as a, or the enrichment podcast as a whole has shown that change, right? The priorities have shifted. The amount of different things that a zookeeper is responsible for in the day has drastically changed. And so it can be very, very complicated and stressful when you come into a system like that where, Maybe things haven't changed. So you're say you're a new keeper coming in the gate or you're an old keeper that's been shifted to a new area or, you know, something has changed. And you've got a whole new suite of animals that may not be to the standard that you you expect of yourself or that you're used to. That overwhelming aspect. Yeah, it, it's daunting to go, oh, my God, there's 300 different things I need to do with these animals right now. And I, I don't even know where to start. Like, what's the what's the start? And I think that that's where you you're you know, checklist through comes in or starting to build these kind of daily like reminders, like just start one thing, push forward through it, see the reward at the end and know that you've changed something for the better and then move to the next. Yeah, I think I think that's that's usually the key with that. So, I mean, the moral of the story is, you know, hang in there. Hopefully this is the light at the end of the tunnel. I really hope we're not watching this podcast in another year being like, what were we thinking? But I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're, I think we're okay. <laughs> I, I think really we're going to, I, yeah, I, I, you know, so the light is at the end of the tunnel. We'll keep pushing forward, pick some things, get the ball rolling again, get out of the slump. If you're in one, if you're not in one, good for you, you know? So, uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, this really brings us into a new point now. So this is, as we transition here, what, like, this new stage, like, you know, the new normal and the old normal, and as we're shifting back into it, zoos that did close through the pandemic are definitely going to have a huge transition back to public being on site. Like, we've, I don't know many zoos in North America that, uh, especially, like, the larger ones that, you know, have a whole year being closed or have a, a good chunk of time where their animals see no people whatsoever. So, you know, when we talk about in, enrichment as a whole, like that's going to be one, it could be very stressful or it could be very enriching to, and depending on how you look at your enrichment, right? Like it's yeah. for the good and the bad. Yeah. It's really going to depend. That's a good question to ask the uh, Instagram and Facebook audience. I'll do that and yeah. we'll report back next next yeah day. i would maybe i'll do a survey yeah, i'll do a survey i'll do a survey uh okay. i'll do a survey on uh social media and we'll get back with next um on next episode about what what people are thinking on on it, like what how their animals are reacting and stuff like that um well i think i you know right now 
regardless, like I, I really hope that the university partnerships are still going on throughout the U.S. because this is a absolutely this would be a very cool time to be in research to kind of look at how animals are transitioning from a good long you know complete reset or reboot of their system in terms of um, acclimatizing to guests and what the what the reactions are going back because I, I know yeah. some animals like you know recently our our zoo has opened back up and people are coming back on site some animals it's like it's like nothing ever happened. They could not care less yeah, what's absolutely. outside the other side. And others, it's like right up, you know, against the window, staring at everyone going by, going, Oh my god, like this is yeah so cool. It's, it's like watching, you know, binge watching your new Netflix show, right? Yeah. It's uh it's addictive yeah. that way. And there are others that it's you know, it's absolutely stressful for and that's it's a whole new challenge to try and figure out how to reacclimatize when your unexpected variable is people on site, they, you know, absolutely always do, do as they do. So yeah, you can't know what they'll do. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Um, yeah, that would be interesting to see, uh, you know, as far as you, you need a pretty big study, but this would be the time to, uh, sort of do it. Cause you'd have such a large control group. Cause I'm sure there's a populate, there's enough zoos out. If they got enough zoos all participating in a study, there'd probably be enough newborn animals that were born that are a year old, a year and a half old that have really never even seen people. You know, you could get like a solid, uh, you know, group of a, probably, probably a large amount of species of animals that are, have never interacted with people and just fresh, you know, but, and they're also like, it, they don't have the other variables. A lot of the, uh, you know, they've never been in the wild. They've never, and that would be a very interesting study. So hopefully someone's doing that. We're not, but hopefully someone's doing it. I, yeah, I know. It's it's easy for us to talk about this off on the sidelines and be like, someone should be doing this. Definitely someone, someone should, should be, be doing, doing this multi-million dollar study that I don't know who's yeah, going to pay exactly. for. But, or like, you um, know, it's not even multi-millions. It's, you know, hours and hours of time that keeping staff yeah. right now not necessarily have, right? Because yes. we are, we just got through talking about burnout and now we're throwing yeah, at that's the an extra an extra thing. How their animals are interacting. So, yeah. Uh, needless to say, I guess the pandemic itself has been such a, you know, just a big pot of stew in terms so, of like the the garbage that we've kind of had to deal with and the good. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, lot. it's been, yeah. It was interesting having you know I've done and we've talked about. Um, you know, uh, I, I think I did a podcast on uh, like projects and stuff to do when there isn't people on site uh, earlier in the pandemic, um, you know, just to there's a lot of benefits to not having people on site. But, you know, that's if you didn't have people on site for a week, that would be beneficial. But I mean, uh, almost two years is uh, bananas, right? Well, and I so. think I don't, I don't know if we touched on this in our last podcast much, but it was that catch 22 that I've found most interesting is that, you know, people are off site, you know, fantastic. You know, if it was a week or two, like that's, that's great because you can do projects that are going to span multiple days. You know, the exhibit can look ugly for a day or two. Your tools yeah. can be left out if it needs to be done that way. Or, you know, a pile of dirt can be on a public path that needs to be normally pristine. Yeah. All of that is good. But like the catch 22 of it is that, at the end of the day, like when we had a long-term pandemic and everyone's holding their breath and the budgets are getting thinner and thinner, mm -hmm. suddenly these enrichment projects or these big build projects or these changeovers that you want to take advantage of this time 
the money for it and the time for it just disappears yeah. and dwindles away. Yeah. And uh, and I, I found that to be one of the most interesting things out of the pandemic is realizing that there is no kind of Goldilocks zone that we're able to really get into where you have the ability to you know make a mess and then clean it up another day or you know work with people but like do smaller projects and try and get it as much done as you can while yeah. some feathers right yeah no absolutely I, I totally agree um yeah it's it's uh it's tough but you know as i said hopefully we're we're getting uh getting to the other side of it but we'll, yeah and uh, i think that's but that's maybe the motivation for me anyways it's, it's a motivating thought to say there is no ideal time to start a project the ideal yeah. time is, you know, it's like I, I keep going back to um, there was an old adage I heard. It was like the best time yeah. to plant a tree is 20 years yeah. ago. I was the just going to say that. Yeah. Is today. Yeah. And like, that is Absolutely. exactly how I think of enrichment projects. Like, sure, it would be great if we like built this exhibit perfectly 20 years ago. You know, the second best time to build this exhibit is right now, right here, yeah. because I, I'm yeah. going to have to make it a priority. Yeah, for sure. Don't get discouraged because an animal doesn't ha didn't have enrichment for ten years. You know, worry about giving it enrichment for the next ten years. So, I, I think uh, I think that's that's kind of um, important to think about for sure. But uh, uh, yeah, so um, we had we had a couple things took a couple things to talk about on the podcast today. But um, I saw. <laughs> Just made it through the interlude. The, the, the <laughs> yeah, welcome, welcome to the beginning preamble of the podcast. You made it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we were. I posted this on my uh, Facebook, and you can find it went around the zookeeping circles um, for a little while. But I, I, I thought it was uh, very, very interesting. It's a picture of of a uh, post on uh, a social media site, but it's uh, uh, it's essentially talking about that your pride is not more important than your animals. Um, if someone tells you what you are doing can be done better, you should look into it. If multiple people are telling you, you need to look into it. Keeping animals changes when new information is found. A good keeper understands this and changes their practice practices to improve. It's okay to be wrong. It happens. It's not okay to continue being wrong for the sake of your ego or to prove something to others. And I thought this was fantastic because this is, uh, particularly when you're talking about enrichment, um, this is something that everybody, everybody that has worked in this field knows, you know, mm -hmm. like this. Uh, and I've talked about this in uh, some of my articles about um, how to deal with that um, the sort of intersection between uh, people's pride and between advancement and uh, a lot of the time advancement means enrichment advancement means looking at the day-to-day -day practices of how this animal is being kept and the welfare and actually taking a critical look on all of those things you know um so i think i i think i thought that was a really a really cool a uh, post and as i've said before you know i think it's the one of the most important things to remember is that just about everybody in this industry is in it for the right reason and they care it's coming from a place of caring uh, it's easy to be defensive when you're like why doesn't this person give this animal enrichment like they've been told time and time again like this is stacks of evidence and they just won't do it you know but it's 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 that it's that intersection between their pride and between 
you know, admit it. Because if you, if you, you know, have been caring for this animal for 30 years and you haven't been giving it enrichment or haven't been doing, you know, any of pick something, um, you know, by starting to do it, you kind of are admitting that you were taking care of it wrong for the last 30 years. Yeah. So it's a, it's sort of a tricky thing, but I think it's, it's easy to put yourself in that person's shoes and to guide them along the road to, you know, showing them how they've been wrong, but yeah. gently. And, and, you know, yeah. Yeah. And coming from a place of like, listen, like it's, you know, it just be, like, I'm sure if any of us were keepers 40 years ago, we would have been doing the same thing. Right. Well, and I, I do have like, you know, a, a very wise keeper that I recently worked with, um, had a, a great statement that really stuck with me. And it was, you know, in, in, in the case of any problem that you're bringing forward or that you're trying to address, always assume good intent. You know, even if you see a coworker, you know, like, why aren't they curling the hose properly? Or why aren't they, you know, they, they never feed that's, this. That's problem. unforgivable. You can't, if you don't curl hoses properly, like, what are you doing? That's obviously gone on the, you know, I've touched a button here for Kyle. So, <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people that would listen to this podcast, but the, you know, that kind of stuff, like it, it is easy to be aggressive and upset and angry and abrupt and attack someone over something that they're doing. It is so much harder to stop for a moment and say, these people are here for the right reasons. They, you have to assume good intent that these people are not doing it to be like, you know, damn Kyle, I want to make sure I uncurl this hose and curl it wrong so that yeah. Kyle is upset later. It's yeah. They're doing it because they think they're doing right. They don't think anything of it. Yeah. And so for you to bring it forward, you have to bring some compassion to the table and go, no, no, no. Just so you know, this is why I think this way. And this is what the perception is for me. And I just need you to understand that. Like, it's absolutely it's something that helps me and helps you and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's one there's one thing that uh, I've tried to start doing more in meetings and something that's really helped me. But asking this question in meetings, asking people, you know, if, if they're, if you're bringing a plan to the table or bringing a concept to the table and there's some friction and you're just not seeing eye to eye, instead of being like, this person's not getting it, you know, leave the meeting disgruntled, not getting anywhere. Everyone's had meetings like that. Instead of doing that, you know, ask the person, you know, what would have to change in my plan for it to be better for you? You know, how would I have to change the plan for it to be, for you to be okay with it, essentially, you know, and then you actually are, are getting out the sticking points of the person as opposed to, you know, just assuming that they're being ridiculous and they're trying to, to like smite you or trying to just make life harder for you. So I think, yeah, that, that kind of is one of those questions that sort of skips to the sticking points and, and might be able to be a good position for you to bring some compassion to the table. So well, I think at best, like, you know, at best, what you're doing is giving the person an opportunity to talk. And uh, yeah. at worst, what you're doing to them as well is like, you know, making sure that they have to be pinned down to a point where they're like, I can't handle this. And then you have something to work with. At least it moves the conversation forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So 
Um, yeah, I thought that was really good. If you want to see the picture, it's on my uh, Facebook. Um, I, I did share it a little while ago. It's It's gone around. So something always uh, very, very important to keep in mind that your pride is not more important than your animals. We're all here for animal welfare. We got to remember that animal welfare is, you know, before everything, essentially. So um, something very, very important to keep in mind uh, throughout your years of zookeeping, no matter how many years you've done it. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so, um, there are, I think we did questions. a couple questions coming in, right? Yeah. Yeah. We had a couple questions from social media. I mean, they're not coming in right now. And so uh, we're not, oh, uh, we're not the Howard Stern show or anything, but, uh, they came in previously. Uh, um, someday we might get that technology. That would be going, cool. That, yeah. I mean, if we get enough listeners, we could do something live. That'd be fun. I, I think uh, I would like to do something live. I could go live on Instagram. I could, I could do it right now. Um, that would be cool. Maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll explore doing that yeah, we'll, at a different let's, time. But. Let's thank that for a later, a later little discussion. If we have a good nugget of topic that we want to get everyone's opinion on, then maybe we'll yes. throw that out to the masses. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know how many followers you need to have to have a successful live experience, but... Um, I, it's not about quantity, Kyle. It's about quality. Yeah, it's true. If you have, true. If you have three engaged followers, that are really yeah, that's all you the need. Yeah, worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. That would over double the you know amount of people we have. Uh, yeah. So uh, we do have a few questions, that, and I do try to ask some questions uh, on my uh, Instagram and Facebook stories. So if you do want to ask a question, uh, look for uh, when I ask if you guys have any questions for the next podcast, or uh, you can always uh, email us um, Kyle at wildenrichment.com. Um, or you can go on our website or whatever like that if you have a question or anything. Uh, but uh, one of the best questions that we got that I really, really like is um, it's sort of a statement and a question, but enrichment data and how to use it. Uh, it's a good one because yeah. I think it's, it, it's one that gets overlooked uh, frequently um, and one uh, I feel like zookeepers, you know, in general, we can kind of agree that we don't like paperwork for no reason. You know, we didn't we didn't become zookeepers to do paperwork and sit at desks or anything like that. Right. So. Um, oh, but at the same time, enrichment data and keeping track of your animal welfare and certain metrics that you have decided on is is, you know, important. We, we know that like that's that's the way it is. But. So I think the biggest thing with enrichment data, there, a couple points, is uh, I sort of touched on it a little bit, but you really need to select which metrics you're actually going to, to track and make sure they're actual trackable metrics. And you need to actually be going back and using the data because nothing's worse than filling out enrichment sheets or you know, track you're doing all these animal observations and then it just sits in a filing cabinet or in the interwebs and does absolutely nothing, you know, because if the end of the day we're, um, we're using this, we're supposed to be using this data for animal welfare. So I think for me, uh, selecting those metrics and actually using the data is the two most important parts. Um, yeah. That's no, I, I, do, I do think like it, it's so easy, like people, 
people get it in their head that like once you've collected the data, the hard part is over, right? That is the you, you've done the challenging part, which was you know capturing that moment in time, and then now you're on to the you know the results. You can kind of just look at it and it's done, right? But there's so much to it that goes kind of beyond that. Like I know like during my master's degree, I mean, like this is very topical. I feel like kind of attacked here, Kyle, because <laughs> this, uh, I'm literally in discussions right now where my my academic advisor from my master's degree is, is contacting me saying, hey, you know, when are you going to publish this stuff? Because, you know, your master's is out there, but it's not published yet. You got to get on it, like get it done, get it done. Right. And it's it's easy to kind of let it sit. And, you know, because yeah. the data is already there, you're almost, you're probably sick of it by that point. I mean, if you've done hours and hours yeah. of observations Absolutely. or tens of thousands of hours of observations with all of these different ethograms or whatever, it's, it's overwhelming and you're done, you're pretty much done with it at that point. You're sick of it, but you have to yeah. kind of power through and start going, okay, like after this, I'm going to put it, you know, make sure it's in an Excel file or something. I'm going to start looking at percentages or I'm going to start looking at, uh, day-to-day is like what what can i break yeah. down in variables here that really concretely matters right yeah like i know any observations you're looking at like what time of day it was can i start mapping that out and let's you know if you're really fancy and you're able to do it you can you can get on like sas studio or r and start doing yeah. some statistical analysis with it but nice. uh yeah you know yeah i uh yeah, we have uh, on Wild Enrichment in the resources section, we do actually have a few different uh, enrichment tracking resources and sheets that you can check out. And they might not work for your specific in, uh, institution or your situation, but you you will be able to adapt what we're putting there um, for your specific situation. So if you're not tracking enrichment at all or doing anything like that uh, and you want some inspiration or some resources, you can check that out. But um you know, as I was saying, the metrics and some people might be wondering, you know, what metrics are important. And I think that that really depends on the animal and your goals. But I think uh, with enrichment in general, I think the metrics that matter the most is keeping the enrich enrichment enriching, you know. So I think it's, it's very, very easy to, especially when you're in a rut, a COVID rut, um, that you can just be you know, tossing something in an exhibit, letting the animal back out and going on the enrichment sheet and being like, that was a hundred percent, you know, a five out of five, a 10 out of 10, a 20 out of 20, whatever the scale that you're using is. But it's very easy to do that. And if you look back at a lot of the sheets in a lot of institutions, a lot of people are doing that. And that's just the way it is. But it's, that isn't really productive because you need to, you need to actually be able to quantify whether or not the enrichment that you gave the animal is enriching and whether or not it is deteriorating or whether or not it's just, you know, the animal's just going through the motions with it. Like what, what are you trying to bring out in the animal? A lot of the enrichment that you're giving should have a, you know, a goal behavior or uh, like a natural behavior associated with it. So if the animal is performing that natural behavior, that could be a metric that you're tracking. Is that animal performing that natural behavior every time you give it to them if they stop then maybe you should you know take a break from the enrichment uh stuff like that so i think um deciding those metrics things like foraging time um is well, another great one do, like you know number you know say there's a hanging enrichment number of smacks per minute or something like that like yeah you create a yeah. 
you create a quantifiable or how many minutes does it take for them to shred this down to nothing? Like I'm thinking of your, you know, you've posted about your Fox enrichment, the box, right? And stuff like that. Like what is the time delay that it's really engaging them for? And how is that changing over time? You know, day yeah. to day, like more t- exposure to it. Do I, do I start noticing that they're like really getting efficient where this box is not necessarily yeah, doing what doing originally intended it to be, right? Yeah. And uh, maybe yeah. we need to revamp it. I, I do think in, in this kind of situation too, and this is an idealistic thing, it's when you're doing these kind of, um, like say it's an ethogram or like any sort of quantification of time and all that stuff. And even in terms of your enrichment processing, when you're starting to design it and implement it, or if you have to have like a panel of people that you're approving it through, say it's your manager or your supervisor, your coworker, maybe even just including in that, that there's a there's a set time where you're doing your observations for and then saying we need to readjust based on this data and schedule another meeting that takes that data into account and offers up a solution on how to change it going forward. So it doesn't just become a finite project, it becomes an, an infinite project of constant reevaluation in terms of what you're doing yeah, and what absolutely. goals you're setting. Yeah. And in almost everything that I've put out, like I, I think yeah, you, you hit on, you, you said the word a few times and I think this is super, super important to talk about with metrics, because I think without this, it, metrics are useless. The metric needs to be quantifiable, you know? It shouldn't be up for interpretation, or depending on who's in, this person thinks that the bear is doing this, or this person thinks the bear doing this. It should be a quantifiable thing where you just, you're you're going, it did this, this, and this, and this, and therefore the score is this. That should be, yeah. it should leave no room for interpretation. Obviously, there's going to be biases here and there, because you're not just doing the same person, but it should remove as many as those as possible and be as quantifiable and black and white as possible yeah no i had a there was a a friend of mine did uh she did this genius way of doing like she was looking at a gorilla troop and you know exhibit use she broke the entire thing down into quadrants and everything was like you know every five minutes i get an exact position on where where the gorilla is within that environment and then I map that out and I do percentages on based on how much time in the day they're using in those environments right so if you have a video going you have those concrete lines like past the second rock on the left between that and the tree that's the dividing line between quadrant one and quadrant two not yeah well you know they use exhibit I'm going to do a 100% use today because I felt like they ran around uh, you know a couple times I saw that today that's that's the difference there is that quantifiable and and you know the personal bias of it all absolutely so i I think i think it's 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 also a tough balance because there is the amount of metrics that you can pick for any animal is is infinite you know you can you can get well into the weeds here and we've all done it where you know we've it, it, it can you need a balance between you need to really prioritize metrics and really like decide on what is important to that specific animal because if you if you have 50 different metrics and your enrichment sheet is 10 pages long every single day like that's that's too much data you're never going to look at that you're never going to process it and it's never going to end up benefiting the animal and and even when you're doing behavioral observations like i've seen people do you know say you say you do you know once every five or once every minute let's say i do a, a a snapshot of what's going on say say it's bears like you're talking about right you snapshot of what's going on okay playing sleeping this the scary part too is when you get into the system of like i am observing them in like i've i've broken down my categories and sure they're discrete so it's like sleeping eating this 
But if you have 300 categories and none of them quite overlap, like it, it is overwhelming. The data is going to For say sure. nothing to you no matter what because it's going to be, well, they did 2% this, 1% this, 16% this. Like you, you need to start at the beginning. You say, okay, I am breaking down, you know, into locomotion, you know, rest, eating, yeah. you know, foraging. Like you pick For your sure. five or so, like pick a, yeah. a maximum that you're going to hit. And then it's going to give you something to work on. And later on, like, that's the best part about our field is that you can always come back. Like, you are the caretaker for these animals. So say you come down and you're like, wow, they spend 98% of their time foraging, which is, you know, a lot of, you know, animals like to forage. You look at that and go, okay, now I need to break that down further because that didn't give me as much information. Is it foraging in the grass area? Is it foraging in the rocks, in the pool? Is it... You know, are they constantly looking for fish or are they looking for this, that? Like, what is the behaviors within that category? Because you can keep repeating this. And, you know, that spider process, the, the reevaluating is so critical to constantly yeah, say, okay, absolutely. I noticed this, move this forward. Next observation, I noticed this. And it's, you know, next thing you know, you're 10 steps down a pathway that really gives you something that's that's useful in your day-to-day. Absolutely. You have to be reevaluating and... You have to be keeping track of those metrics over the long term. That's just you, you have to be doing that. Like it's uh, it, it's important. So, you know, back to the question, um, you know, enrichment data, you know, you, you need to do it, but you need to simplify it and really make sure you're honing in on key metrics for that animal. Make sure the metrics are quantifiable and quantify them over the long term and use the data, you know, have, even if it means you have a quarterly or weekly or however long you want to do it or whatever, sit down, you know, ideally on the computer, uh, it's 2021, Excel's great. You should give it a try. Uh, (laughs) Ideally on the computer, uh, you can do some really cool things with the metrics and make sure that it's it's relatable and something and you're getting something out of it and assess the individual enrichment items that you're giving. You know, go through, make sure do it, do an audit on your enrichment, make sure that everything is still enriching, uh, because if everybody's measuring the enrichment properly, you should be able to see, you know, this specific enrichment item is not giving the desired effect for the last 10 times we've used it. So let's give it a let's put it on the shelf for six months, eight months or whatever, or, you know, give it to another animal, take it out of the rotation, make sure you're continuously evaluating how everything is, how everything is coming together. Well, and you've hit a point that I think maybe we just need to hammer home at the end here is that all of this is useless unless you have a very concrete goal in mind at the beginning. Like think about that goal and really make sure that you're sure what you're what you want to get out of this. Like, don't don't just be like, I want to see what uh, you know this grizzly bear is doing. Uh, you really need to hone in on a question that you are seeking to answer that is a quantifiable and a objective. There's a mm-hmm. solution at the end of it that you can get because otherwise you're going to spend your entire career watching the day to day of a of a grizzly bear or something, and at the end it'll be like, well, they did behaviors like you know good on them they they live their life i yeah. don't know what i got that. whereas yeah. you know especially in the enrichment field it's like you got to be able to say i want this behavior mm-hmm. now i can break it down and i can say these are my goals from here on knowing that that's my primary goal is to get this behavior to be showcased absolutely yeah so 
Um, I, I think that's a great topic, and we've I, I've definitely uh, I've written sure a, hammered it to death. a lot a lot about it. So uh, if you want to learn more about that, check out the resources on our on our website. But um, yeah, definitely be keeping those things in mind. I think it's a super important uh, topic and one that um, is going to vary a lot by animal and and it's going to change going to be changing a lot. You know, the more technology and everything like that is brought into here. So. Um, yeah, so, uh, the next one is, uh, tips for using an animal's main diet in enrichment, um, tips and tricks slash puzzle feeders, uh, enrichment based foraging. Um, so this is a great one. I feel like this is one that people don't usually have problems with. Uh, it's usually finding enrichment that isn't food based, um, that is, uh, tough. At, at least that's, mm-hmm. I, I've always found that to be the harder, uh, cause I, I feel like it's always easier to generally to get an animal to interact with a piece of food when, cause it's essentially a positive reinforcement loop, um, with the enrichment item, you know, even if they're not displaying a natural behavior or doing something that they would naturally do, if they're, you know, going through a puzzle feeder, they solve the puzzle feeder, they get the food. They're understanding. It's a very, we all know that relationship to be true because we do, yeah, we do positive reinforcement training with animals, uh, you know, uh, in most modern facilities these days. So we understand you know, that. With yourselves at home, like a bag of potato uh, yeah. chips open, now I'm on, on the couch, right? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think keeping that in mind, that sort of loop that is happening uh, and not giving up um, is just because it doesn't happen right away. It's the same with training. If you're kind of trying to train a behavior and they don't do it right away, you've got to break down the behavior into smaller steps and uh, sort of work your way up. It's the same with uh, enrichment items. Uh, but I think, um, you know, as far as tips and tricks for using an animal's main diet enrichment. I think the most important thing is figure out how they're getting food in the wild. You know, that I think that's, that's a, the, the starting place, uh, that you should always be at. Um, so I'll, I'll say I have a different spin on this question, uh, like, or a different perspective on what they're asking. Yeah. So I, one of the, you know, I've, I've kind of bounced around a little bit in my zoo career. I did do some time in uh, the nutrition center at uh, a facility, but, um, and I'm sure a lot of keepers have kind of taken the time in there too. So um, I do find that one of the things that we, we keepers tend to know, like we know it, we know it's motivating. Food is motivating. One of the things that we have trouble with is that sometimes diets are pretty dense, you know, especially for carnivores, like you can get into these kind of very meat, like yeah. it's meat heavy. It's going to be dense. It's, it's one yeah. bone let's say today, right? It's yeah. okay. Like, how do I spread this thinner when it's one piece or it's, you know, it's a pack of meat that I need to feed off to this animal. And like, I'm not, I can't make 300 meatballs or I want to do, you know, a little bit more with it. Right. And so what I've always found interesting about that is how you can manipulate your diet a little bit or add stuff to it without necessarily changing the the bones, you know, forgive the pun on that one, of uh, of the diet, right? So say you've got a carnivore, you know, like I, I'm, you know, with polar bears, I've always seen that. It's like the adding a lot of veggies to your diet, right? It's, it's yeah. fibrous. It's something that they do enjoy. It's got a good crunch to it and stuff. It's still motivating, but it's not necessarily adding caloric density to their diet. It's just adding this fiber to it, and it's, it's elongating the diet to a little bit more yeah. of their day. Um, 
in terms of chopping up your food and stuff, you know, maybe invest in a mandolin or something and really get yourself those nice, nice yeah. slices, depending on the quantities you're doing, you know, that, yeah. that kind of stuff really helps or even getting something that's frying it up, like, or turning into fries. I mean, not frying it up into deep frying, but um, <laughs> de definitely yeah. that kind of stuff, like making yeah, sure you absolutely. have the pieces that are just big enough to keep your animal motivated, but not too big that you're giving away most of your diet all in one go. Mm -hmm. um, that would Absolutely. be my perception on the question more is like, how do you elongate a diet to really provide enrichment instead of just providing yeah. a big hunk of diet? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think, I think it's important to, uh, hit that balance between, you know, getting enrichment out of the diet and also giving the animal the right diet. So, um, as I said, you know, focusing on <laughs> struggling with the sun there, Ben, it's, I uh, I am it's... struggling. Like, we are, we've picked the perfect time of day where like the sun is slowly hitting me in the face, no matter where I go. So, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's that's. I tough. guess this is your. Is this like a VIP? Like if you uh, you get a paid subscription of this, you get to see Ben <laughs> struggle. Yeah, this is up. available. This will be available on our YouTube channel. So if you want to see Ben uh, awkwardly struggle with the sun hitting him in the eyes constantly, you can uh, well, you know check out our YouTube channel. You'll get to see the entire evening slowly. <laughs> I all of Twilight all. hitting Ben. Um, uh, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, using the main diet and enrichment, uh, really be focusing on what they're doing in the wild, how they're getting, uh, in, you know, food in the wild. And if you're struggling because you don't have enough diet, um, I definitely think uh, – finding ways of prolonging it, talk with the nutritionist at your facility and, uh, figuring okay. out, uh, can, can you be, can you, yeah. Can you be adding, um, well, things like change and, and, yeah, absolutely. Can you um, get lower? I will shameless plug, a shameless plug. There's a, there's a lovely, you know, there's this enlightened gentleman that talks on this, uh, you know, enrichment podcast about browse at some point. Uh, there's a browse podcast. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, if you want to want to know more about browse, a little up with a little bit there, but like definitely browse would be a great way to add absolutely add to your diet, keep engagement going, and not necessarily decrease the uh, quality of your diet. It's absolutely. a it's a great way to do it, and you can break it down into these very like you know Kyle's talking about these natural components of diet. Can't get much more natural than a tree. It, it that's as natural as it gets. It's true. Um, yeah, so just, uh, keeping those things in mind, I think is the best, uh, sort of tips and tricks. Um, and then we have one more question here before we, uh, wrap up. Uh, this is an interesting one. I, I've never, I've never, uh, experienced this. Um, but, uh, keepers leaving personal items near shifting areas to familiarize their scent for bonding with an animal. Mm -hmm. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting thing. I, I, I always love, like, when something like this comes out, you always kind of want a little bit more context. Like, you're like, what is, what is this person dealing with? Like, what animal are they discussing in their mind that they want us to answer the question with? Because this this question for me goes, like, any of 10 different ways. Right? Yeah. Um, my my personal perspective is that, like, you know, the, the scent of, your, of yourself is not necessarily enriching for the animal unless you have like already a pre-existing relationship where it suddenly becomes a little bit more of a feedback loop. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I don't think there's any real um, substitution for 
quality time. And I mean, you know, getting back to the beginning of our podcast, this pandemic has definitely put a price on our, our time way more than it ever has. But um, I do think that that's where it suddenly becomes really critical to just, you know, put that time in. And, and I think what this person, in my perspective, what they were kind of getting at was like, if I don't have the time in the day to spend with the animal, if I give them my clothes or something like that, does that really help in any way or is it a hindrance mm. or what? Um, I don't know, Kyle, what do you, what do you think on that one? Yeah, it's hard to know where they're coming from, but if they're coming from a place of, you know, you have a new animal or there's new keepers or something like that, leaving the scent with, uh, with like, uh, I'm thinking like wolves or something that's very, very scent motivated and their entire world yeah. revolves around scent then I, I definitely think this might have have merit. I, I've I've never done it in my career or uh, been in a situation where that's been a thought. But I think I think I've been I've definitely given uh, animals sense from other animals to familiarize them before they're introduced or when they're taken when they're separated from the group or something like that. Uh, so I, I don't I don't see why this this wouldn't work for very, very scent focused animals. But um, maybe let us know. Uh, reach out if you have a um, an anecdote about doing this and it, it had actually yeah. worked because I'd love to I'd love to hear about that but it's very well, it's very interesting there's one thing for me what what really immediately went, when you asked that question like what comes to mind for me was this I think I saw something about hyenas a long time ago right and it was when they're introducing new members and so to say that it was always like wild dogs remember they're like they're changing the pack dynamic they mm. were adding members and, stuff. and in order to make sure that they don't like kill each other right off the bat and just perceive each other as a threat, they basically like rub them against each other, like back to back so that they're covered in each other's scent. So when they come to, they're groggy, they don't know what's going on, but everyone smells the same. And yeah. and that was all to me such a, a yeah. cool, like, you know, the novelty of that, like, you know, I can't tell who's who anymore because that was my primary way of doing things. So maybe in this yeah. situation, like, that's just what comes to mind for me. But yeah, yeah. I also... When, when you're looking at this question too, like I, I would want more details on is it is it an outreach animal, right? Are you looking to be yeah. really hands on with this animal? Is it uh, say a dangerous animal at, at your facility that you're really just working through the mesh with that you want to be motivated for training sessions to, you know, for daily husbandry to really help kind of engage it in its own health and well being, or are you just doing it because you want to be close to the animal and you you want that relationship? Yeah. Yeah, all three of those things have very different kind of motivations behind them that I, I, and I don't know necessarily whether all of them preclude this being the only way you want to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's super interesting. Uh, maybe if anybody has done that or has heard of this situation working, uh, reach out and let us know because that's that's very interesting. We'll uh, maybe circle back if we get some. Uh, good anecdotes from, uh, from our listeners there. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, th it's a good, it's interesting. Yeah. There's, uh, there's lots of ways, lots of ways to do things here. So, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think that pretty much, uh, wraps everything up as usual. We had 50,000 things to talk about, but we've all, it's been, it's been almost an hour here. So, um, we will save the, save the rest for next time. Hopefully next time is sooner than another three months. Um, oh, it definitely yeah. will be. We'll try and reschedule this for sooner and then put a yes. hard deadline on absolutely that would be that'd be fantastic so uh thank you so much for listening guys and uh we will see you again soon thank you <laughs>